The Philippines has work to do to keep journalists safe and free to report developments on national issues, according to the National Union of Journalists of the Philippines, or the NUJP. In this B-Side episode, NUJP Chairperson Jonathan DeSantos speaks with Business World reporter John Victor D. Ordonez on the roadblocks to a free press in the Philippines. Can you provide an overview of the current state of press freedom in the Philippines and tell us a mm-hmm. little more about NUJP as an organization? Okay, I, I think the easiest way to look at press freedom no, or to illustrate press freedom uh, or where we are no, in terms of press freedom is to look at the World Press Freedom Index. Uh, so we're currently at 132. So that's up by a lot of places from 147, uh, which is where we were last year. No, So there has been uh, some improvement in the sense that the government isn't as hostile to the press as before. But uh, we also have to keep in mind that there have been attacks uh, happening. Um, actually, just last, last month, no, si Chris uh, Bundokin was shot in, in Oriental Mindoro. No? So these are grim reminders that uh, press freedom is still uh, something that we have to push back for, we have to struggle for. And you know, we, we can't really afford to be complacent about things like this. Well, the National Union of Journalists of the Philippines is a lateral guild. It was envisioned really as a labor union no, for media workers, um, but we're not there yet. So for now, we're, we've been focusing on journalist safety and also uh, working conditions no, of media workers. So a lot of that is safety training, but also uh, support and campaigns for things like, for example, the decriminalization of libel no, or um, um, the anti-terrorism app, that sort of thing. So mostly we're, uh, we, we, we focus our uh, campaigns on media safety and also basic rights. Okay, sir. So you mentioned the Philippines' improvement in metrics such as the World Press Freedom Index. Um, how crucial are these improvements or performances in to uh, the country's economy and potential investors? Okay, uh, on one hand, no, it's always I feel no that it's all it's always good to be seen as a rights following or rights uh, respecting country, respecting country, and given also that our president is very has been very um, focused on not not rebranding necessarily, but uh, improving uh, the brand of the Philippines after uh, the previous administration, where we were seen to be not as into human rights. Um, I mean, we don't have to siguro, repeat what the former president said, no? but basically we he made it clear uh, where he sat on rights. No? So yeah, it's important to be seen as, especially also since we're uh, mending uh, fences with America. No? So uh, I think uh, being seen to be uh, upholding press freedom or, or to be seen to be respecting press freedom would be a good thing for the Philippines. On the other hand, also, there is a, a, a no, but we have to consider also whether um, investors actually do care about stuff like that or would they we just look at things like, is it cheaper to uh, have your goods manufactured in the Philippines? Something like that. But in general, yeah, it's a good thing. Building off of that, have you observed any instances where media coverage or maybe the lack thereof has influenced public perception or maybe investor confidence in the Philippine economy? If you mm-hmm. know any global examples that you can show. Um, there are instances, but it's a sanction store. Like if, you, if you're seen to not be, I think we're at risk of not sanctions, but losing certain privileges uh, with the EU. No, uh, if, if we don't, if we're not seen to be 
uh, adhering to human rights standards. So that's one thing. Sorry, it's it's not really my field of expertise, mm-hmm. but I feel also no, just the idea of your human rights record or your or how you treat uh, fundamental freedoms will affect, for example, things like aid from the U.S. and possibly uh, trade promotion as well. Okay, sir. So you mentioned earlier about the anti-terrorism law. So are there any other specific policies or regulations in the country that either support or, on the other hand, undermine press freedom and its impact on the economy and maybe the country in general? Well, number one would be, well, it, it would be the oldest, ano pa rin, it would still be libel. No? Uh, if we look back over the past six years, uh, one of the biggest uh, or the most headline-grabbing cases uh, of journalists uh, was the Maria Ressa case, which is a libel case. And that had a lot of impact on how the world saw us as well. There was a lot of international pressure on the government to, uh, for example, well, to drop the charges, uh, that sort of thing. We also recently filed a petition questioning the uh, SIM card registration app. Um, we understand that scam texts and security, you know, these are valid issues. These are valid concerns. But we're not sure whether or we doubt that the, the way that the government wants to do it will actually help with those scams. We will be sacrificing our rights, our, our privacy for something that has been shown or has not been shown to work. So, sir, you mentioned that NJP and other civil society organizations challenge this um, SIM card mm-hmm. re- registration law. So, what other laws or measures can civil society, what can they push for to enhance protections for journalists? Again, I'll have to go back to decriminalizing libel is the first. But also, there are proposals uh, in Congress to put in safety standards. It's called the Media Workers Welfare Bill. So it, it will require companies to give a certain amount for hazard pay. And there will be limits on how long uh, people will be allowed to work because that is a, that's a safety issue. For example, if, if, you're a, uh, and if you've been working, for example, for 12 hours, that will be... But it's just risky for you. There have been accidents. There have been people who get into accidents driving to and from coverage. We focus on the political aspects of, of press freedom, but we also have to look at the economic uh, factors that affect it. For example, if you're not well paid, no, or if you're if you don't get, for example, even just basic hazard pay, if you don't get overtime pay, then um, it'll be easier to fall into like ethical traps of uh, receiving bribes or doing PR work, that sort of thing. So, sir, you mentioned about these labor issues that journalists mm-hmm. face with the proposed legislation. Has your organization or any other representatives from the media, have they tried to contact government agencies or collaborate with like um, agencies like DOLE to um, respond mm-hmm. to these issues? Meeting with DOLE, meeting with employers, is part of the Philippine Plan of Action uh, for the Safety of Journalists. So that was launched in 2019. Uh, so that's something that the journalism community is slowly trying to implement. We were also included in some of the uh, hearings and uh, technical working group discussions on, on the media welfare workers uh, bill. No? But also because of our orientation as, as a union, we also believe that we don't have to or we shouldn't have to wait for, for a law for us to get uh, better pay, for, uh, for us to get fair treatment. We have been also advocating for uh, organizing in the workplace to be able to not necessarily uh, negotiate, but at least talk to management in a more collective manner. So uh, you talked about not having the need for a law to protect these um, protect labor rights of journalists. So how can uh, civil society, businesses, and government, how can they create an environment conducive to both free press and mm-hmm. upholding these labor rights? A law would be very welcome. A law would be very helpful, actually. But we shouldn't have to wait 
like we can't say na uh, we're still waiting for for it to be passed so there is nothing we can do it's about the best way really for the public no, or for civil society to um, support journalists or to support press freedom is to support journalists themselves no? so that's supporting our products supporting the work that we do basically the work that we churn out uh, so that's sharing uh, good stories uh, letting more people know na, check this out that sort of thing um, and also understanding and helping others understand the role of media. Um, as we've seen in the past couple of years, um, there has been a. But some people think that if you're if you're a journalist, you're trying to bring down the government, or you're just trying to uh, discredit people uh, but that's not the job that we do and that's not the function that we're supposed to be playing so understanding uh, the role of journalism in democracy and helping others you know, uh, understand that a critical report doesn't mean that we hate you or that we want you to fail it's really just a reflection of uh, the realities in, in society yes sir so building off of that trying to build these discussions about journalism as a profession in the country mm-hmm. so how crucial is the role of social media media and other digital platforms in impacting press freedom in the Philippines and do they offer new opportunities or maybe even challenges to journalists and media organizations? They're definitely a challenge to the business model uh, in the sense that because we used to earn or we still earn uh, from, from clicks and page views. So these platforms have made it harder for us to earn from those page views. But also it's an interesting new challenge on how how we can use these platforms to get our information out, get our products out. Now. So some of the advice that we've been getting is to publish directly on onto the platforms. So you get engagement from that. And I, I guess you can realize that at some point now. But also the, the negative part of that is um, it has democratized media, democratized discourse. Um, the other side of that is we're drowning in a sea of noise, basically, and it's harder to be noticed. It's harder to get the reader's attention. So, sir, you said uh, there, are some, there are these challenges of trying to disseminate these um, uh, reliable information. So how can a lack of press freedom, how can it hinder transparency in both the public or private sectors? If you don't have press freedom, if you can't voice our opinion, if you can't, on, on a basic level, if you can't tell the mayor, for example, that there are a lot of potholes on the street, no? Uh, if you don't have the freedom to say that, or if, if we if we raise our concerns and, and, and what we get is we're, we're labeled as, for example, bashers or haters. Yung quality of life pa lang. We're not even talking about democracy. It's just um, getting our needs met, getting our problems uh, addressed. No? Yung kunyari, that pothole, just letting, because we can't bring the government's attention to it, it will be unsolved. No? So, tapos from on a, on a parang wider perspective, just having fewer voices means na our discourse and our um, discussions are less informed or are, are not as uh, well informed as if then if we had uh, access to all of the perspectives uh, available. No? So if there's really just one narrative or a couple of narratives, and usually these narratives favor a certain, um, there's a power aspect to it. So usually um, these narratives favor the government or favor big business, for example. Like even if you look at uh, reports about fires, if there's a fire at the mall, we don't know which mall that is. If someone gets food poisoning at a burger restaurant, we don't know what restaurant that is. Even on that basic level, not not having the access 
to that information uh, makes us well it, it's a less informed life so is there like a model from another country or maybe a, another environment where the philippines can learn maybe um, are there other experiences from journalists from other countries that you can name or give to mm-hmm. where the philippines can learn from well i feel that journalism is under attack everywhere for example we we visited australia earlier this year and they're facing similar uh, challenges um they're understaffed um the pay isn't that great libel isn't a crime there but uh defamation uh, is still a problem they can they can be sued for defamation so it's a civil case but it's in the millions usually so that's still enough but to make journalists hesitant to follow certain stories although siguro that's one thing we can look at also um they're very focused on solidarity and that's something that the Philippine uh, journalism community has been working on building no? uh, since even before 2016. But parang the, the need was felt more urgently uh, in the in the recent years when attacks kept ramping up. So I think that's one thing that we can pick up from other countries that their, their journalists can uh, work together, their journalists can support each other. And I think we've learned how to do that. We, we just need to practice doing, uh, keeping doing that. Does NUJP have any initiatives collaborating with other organizations? Could you name some of like the prominent ones? Um, right now, we're doing an, a regional monitoring of uh, journalist safety. So we've been working collaboration between six uh, among six journalist organizations uh, across Southeast Asia, uh, it's led by AGIM, the, the Indonesian uh, Journalist Union. So basically, we're pooling our information on journalist attacks, and then we're hoping that we get a complete database going, which will which will help us, which will help with campaigning, not just in the Philippines, but if we can see trends in Indonesia, but how how are the Indonesians dealing with certain threats, for example, or how is Thailand's government uh, treating their media? So it's really a lot of information exchange and uh, hopefully we get to a place where uh, we can share best practices because we're, we're seeing that we're facing a lot of similar uh, threats. No, Actually, we're, we're looking at it like governments in Southeast Asia are learning from each other on how to address critical reporting, how to silence dissent, that sort of thing. Um, it's a similar playbook. So we're hoping to come up also with a playbook for media. You said, sir, that these Southeast Asian governments or journalists in Southeast Asia are learning from each other. So the Philippine government in particular, we have our own um, media task force. So would you say that how could they bolster protections for journalists? And maybe with your observation, do you think that they're doing enough to protect journalists? Disclaimer, we have we have a very complicated relationship with that task force and with the presidential task force on media security. We engaged with them uh, on the Philippine plan of action uh, on the safety of journalists. But eventually, um, we've since disengaged from them. We've seen a tendency to, for, for the task force in the previous administration to play down yung attacks or they just say that our concern over attacks on colleagues is political or ideological, which it isn't necessarily. Um, but we're hopeful that right? the task force has been reactivated under the Marcus administration. They have a new executive director. So we'll see. Right now, siguro yung, this Pundokin case would be a, a, a good test case for them uh, on how they'll deal with it. So we're always open to engaging uh, with any potential ally or at any potential ally of press freedom. So we'll see uh, how that turns out. But yun nga, past experience has not been good. I'm sure they'll say the same about us, but it's a very complicated relationship. Just a, a last question, sir. What What is your message mm-hmm. as a journalist yourself to 
all the other media practitioners in the country and on how they can stay driven in the current uh, climate for the profession in the country. Mm. Oh, nga, it has been a very trying couple of years for us. Um, a lot of us are asking whether it's still worth it. Um, so you go to one thing that I've learned in my more than a dozen years naman of, journalist, of working in journalism is we can't do it alone. Um, so you, you, you can't do stories alone. You can't handle yung pressures of, of the profession alone. So it's really best to have a support group and beyond your support group would be parang a group of like-minded practitioners who you can ask advice from, who you can get support from. And siguro, moving further from that, a group that you can campaign with. no. Um, so basically, the best lesson talaga is that you can't do it alone and it's best to be organized. I'm not saying join a union, I'm not saying join a particular group, but just having, even if it's your press corps, even if it's your, just having a group, a support group that will uh, back you is, is, a big, is a big help already. And always remember also who we're doing this for. We're in this profession, it's... it's we should be paid well, I mean, and all of that. And it's it's a noble profession and everything. So just remember who we're doing it for. Um, okay naman to get recognition. It's okay to get awards. But at the end of the day, we are, we're serving a public. And yung nga, I hope yung mga ganong thoughts will help keep us going. Kasi yung, yung struggle for press freedom is a is a long struggle. It doesn't end at, parang at the ballot box. It doesn't end when a new president comes into power. It's something that we have to keep guarding. No? And you know, it's, a, it's, it's a very long campaign parent. A free press bodes well for the economy, Mr. DeSantos said. Many investors look at press freedom metrics as a major factor in doing business in the Philippines. The NUJP chairperson also noted the importance of forming support groups to push for better working conditions for the media. At the end of the day, he said, journalists serve the public. This has been another episode of B-Side. Subscribe now and enjoy a new episode every week.